This episode is brought to you by Thinknear. Their location score platform delivers the most accurate location targeting available on mobile. Visit them at locationscore.com. And by Pollen. Access your app store revenues faster and fund user acquisition straight away. To sign up, go to pollen.vc. everybody and welcome to untethered.tv. I'm your host and founder Rob Woodbridge. Way back September 20th 2011 that's when I had this guest on the last time we have maintained communication in between these two uh, uh, visits on untethered.tv but he hasn't been back on here in over three years. My guest is Doug Stevens. He is known as the Retail Prophet. He's also the author of the Retail Revival Reimagining Business for the New Age of Consumerism. Um, and we uh, are going to talk a little bit about that, but we are going to dive deep into uh, one of the topics that I think is near and dear to Doug's heart as he's traveled around the world speaking about this topic. And that is, uh, you know, let's not skip the first step first. It's going to make sense in a second, but don't skip the first step first when it comes to implementing this kind of new technology, the mobile technology into your business. Think about your viewpoint holistically from your entire business perspective before you decide on the technology that you can implement. I'm going to bring Doug in right now. Doug, welcome, my friend. Thank you very much, Rob. What happened? Three years. It just dawned on me that I don't know. Three clearly, years. clearly, I fell out of favor with you, and, and only now have I earned the right to come back. So I was so angry with you, but I think now uh, I've forgotten uh, what that was about. Whatever I did, I apologize. Exactly. Let's just put I, it that way. I can't believe it's been that long. It's kind of <laughs> ridiculous. But uh, welcome back. I'm so glad to have you on. Um, you, I, I've, I've followed you around the globe uh, as you preach the message of this retail revival. Um, and I am I am so fascinated by by what we're about to get into this conversation about. But before we do, let's talk about, um, for those who don't remember three years ago um, and haven't heard of uh, Doug, uh, who are you? So um, I am the founder of Retail Profit. And uh, what I do is I research, write, and speak about the future of retail and consumer behavior. And that crosses really uh, the intersection of four major categories of information. I do look at demographics, economics, technology, and media. And so at any given point in time, I'm trying, like everyone else out there, to put my arms around all the things that are happening and try and assemble that into a picture that sort of makes sense and that we as business people can look at and say, okay, so how do I now strategize understanding all this change that's happening? Uh, I got it, uh, and it, it's so true. Like I've seen you, uh, you, you know. For those of you who don't know, Doug, Doug is uh, co-hosted his own show, uh, which was uh, sponsored by it was PayPal, right, or eBay? That's right. Yeah, PayPal. Yeah. eBay, PayPal. Yeah, when yeah. they were when they when were they were one. together. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, also a, a frequent contributor um, around the world in any media, but up here in Canada, CBC, CTV, um, and you uh, you work very closely with uh, with CTV on. Um, on, on many television shows, but is there anything in particular that you guys you're working on right now? Uh, a lot, just a lot of news media. Uh, most of my time now is just spent really working on CBC. Uh, I do a monthly column for CBC Radio that's syndicated to I don't know eight or nine markets around the country. Uh, so that that's sort of same thing. Always looking at kind of what's happening, what's new, how is technology becoming pervasive in consumer behavior, and what does it all mean? And what does it all mean? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into the meat of this, I want to know: is there is there a big thing that you're seeing in this in this industry? Is there is there like a big trend that you have latched on that you are hugging the leg of the big trend, so to speak? It's a terrible visual, isn't it? Hugging the <laughs> leg of the big trend. Yeah, um, are you, what tr- what trend are you hugging the leg of? Well, you know what I think. I think right now, I mean, honestly, you know, we were, we were talking before we got started here. We were just talking a little bit about this this notion that we're we're in a very very experimental period right now. I believe um, with with mobile in particular, you know, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you sort of have a conversation about what's going on, I mean, you can point to uh, things that the Tesco is doing in the UK. You can look at things that Walmart's doing in in North America, uh, Lord and Taylor, Hudson's Bay. I mean, you know, everybody is sort of out there swinging the bat. Um, but in terms of how much of this is actually becoming embedded, you know, how much of it is actually becoming a routine part of the consumer experience, uh, I, I think that we're in very, very nascent stages right now. And, and you know, frankly, not a lot of things are getting traction. And, and I personally, I think if there's sort of, if there's a, a call it a theme or a battle cry that I'm sort of hugging the leg of, so to speak. It is. It is that we we aren't looking at this holistically. You know, companies are are not out there uh, really looking at mobile as an integral part of the full experience. Right. You know that that isn't about technology. Technology is just sort of the the, the mortar between the bricks, if you will. Um, but the bricks are what I want the customer to experience when they're in my store or my business. And I think that's getting lost. Yeah, I, I, and I want to have that deep conversation as we do around around that because I, I, I tend to agree. And, and uh, you know, I often say, maybe to the horror of people listening, because I've done so many of these episodes and I've spent so much time in this industry, but I, I think that, that things start are starting to run together. I mean, I get confused about what companies are doing right now because it seems like my analogy is, you know, if you've ever watched uh, kids play soccer, uh, they have the ball and then they have 40 kids around the ball kind of trying to kick at the ball and yeah. there's just one ball. And I, I, sometimes I feel that this industry right now is is that ball, uh, you know, we're chasing that ball and we're all around there trying to kick the ball like a bunch of kids. And, and I get confused about what companies do. And maybe I shouldn't admit that because <laughs> this is on video. It'll, it'll last forever. But I think that that's where we are in this stage. So going from hugging the leg to kicking the ball. Yeah, and you know, I think I think there's a lot of tension. I mean, it goes without saying there's a lot of tension in retail right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, we 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 had a, a terrible financial crisis. Uh, consumer behavior still has not returned to quote unquote normal. Nor do I think it, it really ever will. Yeah. We're in the midst of one of the largest generational transitions of all time. We have all these incredibly pervasive and disruptive technologies that are knocking on the door, and and in some cases threatening to put retail out of business so there's a a tremendous amount going on and I I think that retailers are are sort of feeling like they you know it's I almost the analogy I use is it's like standing beside a road with cars going flying by and each of those cars is a particular technology and they wonder which of these cars should I grab the door handle of you know which (laughs) which of these ones should I try to get into as fast moving as they are and um, and, and so that's a very daunting thing, and it's very dangerous, and I don't think that it really takes into account the real problems. You know, um, just, just I'll give you an analogy. Sure. I mean, to, um, 
you know, to to look at implementing something like a beacon program, for example. So you so you look at your store environment. And you say, I'm going to implement beacons um, because because that's where it's at. Like you know, message customers when they're mobile and tailor these messages to them that are specific. So you do that. But in the meantime, you have a cash register in the store with a lineup of ten people waiting. You know, five or ten minutes to to cash out to check out of the store. That's just totally in, incongru, incongruent to me, right? I just totally don't understand how you could allow that to happen. So, and, and this is happening all the time, you know, um, that we're, we're, we're trying a technology at retail because we think it's cool or we think it's, think it's sexy or it'll endear us somehow to a younger generation. And we're ignoring the uh, horrible experiences that are going on all around us. And I mean, that experience just doesn't stem from the lineup, right? It extends from the time that you, you push open the door and you take your first step. And, and it's that, I mean, I, I hate going into department stores, right? For that exact reason. It's a big, big, you know, brick place, boxy, and you walk in and, it, and there's no there's no feel. There's no anything in it. So, I mean, that's where it stems from, doesn't it? Is that first experience when you walk in the door. Yeah, exactly. And and I don't think, you know, the funny thing is, I always say, if you were to put six retail executives in a conference room and tell them that you were going to change their logo, you would have days of passionate debate over that. They debate everything, you know, the font size, the color, the positioning. I mean, everything would get debated vigorously. Yeah. But if you were to say to the same half dozen executives, Tell me in detail what your customer experience is. I doubt many could articulate it. They might say, oh, we value every customer or it's customers always right or, you know, value for your money, that sort of thing, these platitudes. Yep. But if you said, no, 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 I mean in detail. From the moment somebody discovers your brand to the third or fourth purchase that they make and everything along the way, tell me in minute detail what happens. I don't think many could articulate it. So the question is, if you don't even understand what's supposed to happen, how can you use technology responsibly to make things happen within that experience? It just makes no sense. Do you think that it's just, I mean, this is obviously a grab, right? You know, I don't know if it's a, if it's to attract the younger generation or if the technology is, is effective or not, because I, I think we're, we're, we're very early. But we know what doesn't work inside of retail, and that is long lines and poor experience and no inventory. And my favorite example of the greatest thing that I've ever heard is, is uh, um, Sears offering to do curbside returns. So you don't even have to step foot in the store. What does that tell you about the retail industry when they don't want you to step foot in the store for a return? Does that shout customer service or does that just say piss off? Right? Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I'm I'm very interested in understanding how you know where where the first steps should be. Like you know, starting with the first step instead of the ninth step. But when we talked, maybe through this you know three years ago, and we've talked since. But um, is is retail in a better state now than they were three years ago, or are they still in that precarious spot? Because I think three years ago everybody thought the world was going to end on retail and things were going to shutter and no more malls and everything was going to be done in mobile and, and online but i think now there's a little bit more confidence coming back to retail but that's my perspective just from an outsider what about yours 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, you know, there was a there was a very very scary period after 2008 and through really 2009 through 2010. Uh, there was a lot of doubt around uh, particular retailers and whether or not they would survive. There was this sort of, and I still I still think there is. I mean, my God, if you if you look at uh, Andreessen Horowitz's uh, website, their their tagline is "Software is eating the world," right? Yeah. And Mark Andreessen came flat out in Wired magazine and said, software's eating retail, like it's over. You know, mm -hmm. if you're a brick and mortar retailer, forget about it. And, and so there is still this conversation around kind of this binary equation. As online increases, will brick and mortar retail die? And, um, and or will brick and mortar stores just simply survive forever because we like, you know, those sorts of experiences? And I think what's happening now, maybe we're at the very, very early stages of coming to the understanding that it isn't binary, that, you know, what's happening is physical experiences are becoming digital and digital experiences are actually becoming more physical and tactile and immersive, you know. And, and so if I look at online shopping now and I say, OK, well, you know, I can now um, I'm sort of getting a if I you know, shopping for eyewear at Warby Parker, I'm having this blend of physical and digital experiences, right? I'm getting things shipped to me that are physical. I'm able to virtually try things on, and yet it is a digital experience. If I go into their stores, I'm having a physical experience that's infused with digital. So it's it's sort of this digital kind of experience that's that's taking place now. It's an emerging, it's a new form of retail. So that's sort of where I think we're at, but we're at very, very early stages of that. What do you say about these stores that have, um, you know, glass everywhere? And I'm not talking about like typical glass. I'm talking about digital glass, right? Where you can order things online from within the store. You can, uh, you know, reach out to a sales rep from within the change room where, where they've spent a lot of money on the infrastructure for these small stores. I mean, is that the right approach here? Is there a right approach? And is that an overkill for a small retail shop? Well, I think first of all, you have to start with a question. I think what, what I've observed over the years that I've been studying this is that there are two types of experiences now that, that really work. Um, they work, they just simply work for us as consumers, generally speaking. And the one is a, a really super um, high utility experience that has virtually no friction. Right. So um, it's it's easy. It's fast. I don't have to think too much about it. I can do it on the fly and it works, you know, and I think and this is this is what Amazon obviously is pursuing with everything they do. They just want you to be able to say, uh, see it, love it, click, boom, and, and it's done. And I have it half hour later. I have it. Right. So I think that's on the one hand, that's working really, really well. And, and it will continue to work. The other experience is the sticky experience. It's the thing that I say as a consumer, you know what, I, I want to relish that. I want to take my time and really enjoy that. And it'll be different for each of us. For you, it might be, you know, uh, buying, a, buying a new uh, laptop or tablet. For me, it might be going and buying a car. Um, but for everybody, it'll be different. And in those experiences, it's all about um, the the connection that the customer's making to the brand it's about the kind of the emotionally underpinned experience that they have concierge level of service and so you know you can sort of get get a sense of what these two diametrically opposed experiences look like um, 
either of those will work. So I think as a retailer, before you start making technology decisions, the first thing you have to say is, which of these experiences are we? Right. It's very difficult to be both at the same time, right? It's, it would be difficult to say, we want the Neiman Marcus experience to feel like Amazon. It, it just doesn't work that way, right? Um, people go to Neiman Marcus because they want to be uh, weighted on hand and foot. They want that real rich experience. So that's step one. You have to say, okay, well, who are we? Are we a high utility retailer or are we a high fidelity retailer? And um, once we make that decision, we really have to build our customer experience out from that as the cornerstone. And it doesn't mean that one is cheap and flimsy and the other is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a high end. It just means that you, you understand how to service your customer appropriately and the expectations that you're setting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't it doesn't even mean discount versus luxury. No, no. You know, it's not because I don't regard Walmart, frankly, I don't regard Walmart as either. Right. I don't think it's a it's high a fidelity or, it's, no, it's not easy. It's not pleasurable. No. Um, you know, so so I think and they're a perfect example, frankly. I think Walmart is kind of the poster child for the brand that is caught in this purgatory in the middle. And, and so, I mean, I, I saw a tweet that you like they're doing on the floor price matching now. And you 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 said that, that it was suicide, right? That, yeah. that, that they're doing that. Is that um, is that an act of desperation or are, are they are they doing this in a, from a good place where they where they have to do it to compete? You know, I think it's a I think it's an act of desperation. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything calculated, cunning or strategic <laughs> about saying, I'll, yeah, <laughs> That's what it is. I'll sell it to you for whatever anyone else on earth will sell it to you for, yeah. regardless of who they are. I think that, and, and you know, this is, this is the, the Venus flytrap that a brand like Amazon wants retailers to fly into, right? Yeah. This is exactly what they're doing. Uh, they want you to, to come to battle uh, on price. And um, uh, you, you just simply can't. You can't operate brick-and-mortar retail stores and at the same time say, we're going to go head-to-head -head with uh, with Pure Place. It's a, it is a suicide. It is. I mean, with Amazon, though, they, they seem to be able to leverage technology. They try anyways. They're, 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 they're doing a whole bunch of things around getting people the simple thing, right? They've, I think they've isolated their one pain point, which is, listen, our goal is not the sale. It is. But our first goal is to get somebody to put something in their cart. So yeah. we're going to facilitate the cart, right? That is it. So all of their tech seems to be about getting people to put their stuff in the cart, right? Is, is that is that a good way to, to look at it? Yeah, I, I, I think it is. I think Amazon, I mean, everything Amazon does is a Trojan horse, right? Yes. Everything they yeah. do, right? I think Amazon Fresh, their grocery, their grocery uh, um, startup is, an, is a Trojan horse. They want you to have a reason to have Amazon in your home uh, and, and be there because every time you order avocados and apples and eggs and butter, there's a likelihood that you might say, oh, hmm, I need a TV too, right? <laughs> so I mean, Deliver that car for me. Yeah. yeah, and they realize that, you know, if, uh, that the grocery sale is a, is a two, three times a week yeah. sale, potentially, yeah. where buying a TV might be a, a once every three years sale. So, um, so there's that. Echo is another yeah. example of, you know, this is, 
let's let's make no mistake about it. I mean, Echo is a nice little companion, and yes, she will tell you how tall the Empire State Building is and all that. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, this is a shopping assistant, you know, and and so and a brilliant one too. And I think it, I think they're going to sell a ton of them as well over the holidays. Um, but yeah, Amazon is trying to shorten the distance between the realization that you need something and the ability to just buy it instantly. Are they still the threat that they that they were around? You know, the a couple of years ago. I mean, it was Amazon was the big behemoth. Everybody was scared. They were cowering in a corner uh, because of Amazon. Are they still that threat? Yes and no. Uh, yes, uh, because they're still very. Uh, they're still very radical in, in, in terms of their innovation. They still continue to do things that surprise us, uh, that, that at least surprise me and, and I think most of the analyst community in, in retail. Um, but in terms of uh, their shareholder uh, support, mm-hmm. I think that's a bit of a concern now. I think, I think the tolerance for losing money uh, is, is waning. Uh, among shareholders of Amazon, and and I think there's also a new 800-pound gorilla on the block called Alibaba. Right. Uh, that that I think if Amazon isn't somewhat worried about, they ought to be because frankly, uh, Alibaba not only sells. Uh, I, I think that the figures are that Alibaba is larger than Amazon and eBay combined, and they actually make money. They make a 40% gross margin on what they sell. So arguably, Alibaba could sell in the United States at, at a huge loss and not it wouldn't even affect their profitability, really. It would be, you know, uh, like a rounding error in, the, in their profitability. So, um, yeah, I think I think the you know, the any good retailer, anyone that really does well at what they do is a threat to everyone else. You know, there, there's really nobody you can take lightly in this market. You know, even here in Ottawa, Doug, it's, it's fascinating because. You know, because I follow you and I follow what you do um, and, and we communicate, you know, I, I watch retail, not, not as much I observe it. I don't watch it in, as in-depth as you do. But even in Ottawa, and I say that because we're a small town, um, although it's the capital of the country, it's a small town, like a million people live here. Um, but I've started to see this resurgence of physical location shopping, like malls of just, like you know, tripled in size here. And, and these are not small malls but now they are massive malls and and uh two huge mall undertakings that are two main malls here uh east and west malls um but so you know it would seem to me that that these retailers are going all in on big space big space and uh i don't know if this is a good thing or not but i don't see them taking into consideration you know the devices that we carry or the the changing patterns of of the way that we buy things are mm-hmm. they or are they just going blind in here and saying we're doing this whatever i th- i think what what the realization is is that whatever you do in retail now needs to be an attraction you know and so the big mall the really big mall yeah. you know the huge outlet malls and the yorkdale malls of the world in toronto and uh um, you know some of the malls we were talking about in Dubai. Uh, in, yes. in Dubai. <laughs> you know these these are, are are almost retail is almost an afterthought uh, in these spaces. It's 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 about the entertainment. It's about the food. It's about you know all the other things you can do in the space. And that, oh by the way, yeah, there's you know 300 stores here or whatever. Um, so big is kind of where it's at regardless of what you're doing you know if you're if you have a website you know it's important that you have not just a 
few products, but thousands and thousands of products. And if you have a mall, it's important that it be massive now. The guys, again, it's all about, you know, sort of this evaporating middle of everything. The, the, the malls that are dying off are the small regional malls, mm. the strip malls. Um, you know, those are the ones that we just have really no use for anymore in this world where I can order something and have it on my doorstep a day later. So it's the big, it's the big, I, I, I was in Indonesia, maybe, like, this is a long time ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and um, a, a, in Jakarta, and I, I have never set foot in a mall that size before. I've never seen a mall that big before, right? Um, and and when you come when you compare something like that 20 years ago to what's happening now in North America, it would seem to me that they understood what they were doing in emerging economies 20 years ago when it came to those things uh, that we are now just kind of capturing right now. Is that the, the onslaught that's about to hit us when you think about what they're doing with with uh, you know uh, the experience tech infused experience when it comes to uh, retail? Well, you know the the thing is, it's hard to it's hard for us to appreciate because we are still thinking here in terms of populations of millions. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, you know, <laughs> we the other the other half the world, uh, you know, or on the other side of the world, they're talking about billions. You know, there's this emerging middle class of five and a half billion people potentially uh, that is emerging out of China, South Asia, uh, India. North Africa um, that is is just going to make everything exponential everything so yeah the, the size of projects that are being built and when they start to flip the switch on on things like mobile uh, mobile technology over there they will literally fly in the best people from all around the world and they will just build it it will happen you know whereas we sit in in North America and we hem and haw about things and you know uh, retailers are out there making little bets on things like, uh, you know, uh, location-based marketing or, you know, we hem and haw about NFC versus uh, um, QR codes versus or, yeah, QR codes versus near field. And I mean, you know, yeah. nothing happens. Uh, mobile payment is is still not, you know, really getting traction. And, and meanwhile, things like that are just going to, they're going to fly um, in, in other parts of the world. So the risk in, in all of this is that if we don't start really aggressively innovating here uh, we are we are going to look like a backwater compared to a lot of other places in the world i want to talk to you in a second about uh mobile payments because that's a that's a good topic to to kind of put per into perspective but before we do that i have to earn right now if you don't mind i have to i have to actually uh, support myself and my family and the company uh with an advertisement from a sponsor uh, so here's do it. here's that this episode is brought to you by think near Here's co-founder John Hennigan to remind us we what they do. We specialize in delivering advertising solutions uh, for our customers that focus on location. They also help you save money on gas, whether you know it or not. They worked with a national fueling station with locations across the country. Brett Cohen explains what ThinkMirror did. One of the things we wanted to do with location is pull in local data and use it as part of the ad creative. We served mobile ads and in the banner creative, we actually piped in through an API, local gas price information. It's actually telling them the lowest price gas in that, in that local area. And when they clicked through the ad, they could get a list of all the gas stations in their local area, say in the nearest one to two miles, and get the live real-time gas prices. We're giving them 
information that helps them make a better decision about where to buy their gas, where to buy their fuel, and that makes for a much better brand experience and a much better performance for the campaign. Think near, saving you money at the pump. All right, uh, back here again now. Listen, uh, talking with Doug Stevens, Retail Profit, at Retail Profit. You should follow him up if you have not already. Um, do that right now. I, we can wait, I suppose. Uh, just play some waiting music. Uh, <laughs> mobile payments, be, you, the reason I bring it up is because, uh, you know, ultimately there's a lot of fuss right now about mobile payments. And, and a lot of people are thinking that the retail experience on a mobile device is a mobile payment. Like Starbucks would have you think that the greatest thing that you can do is come in and pay with your phone, right? And the focus has always been on the end technology. And, and when I travel into Asia and I travel into Europe and it, they don't talk about mobile payments. They just do mobile payments, right? They don't, there's no conversation around the ISIS or what it what was ISIS, currency yeah. and soft card and Apple Pay. You just pay, right? Whether it's through a carrier or what. Um, so, you know, is is that fair to say that in North America, when we when we think of uh, we think of this whole commerce piece, um, we're thinking about payments. We're not thinking about the experience before that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and 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 we're sort of um, yeah, we're we're obsessing over over the payment piece of it, and and I think that that's why it's not ga gaining traction because I think that that in actual fact is the least important part of the we whole agree. thing. I totally right? Agree. I mean. If if my if my debit card didn't work, or if my credit card you know somehow failed every time I tried to use it, then I'd say, well, my God, we need a absolutely technology has to come and save the day. But that's not the case. That's not the broken part of the equation. The broken part is loyalty. Loyalty is broken because I can't remember how many cards I have. I can't remember which loyalty apps I've I've downloaded. Um, the the broken part is. Uh, having a, a, a uniquely tailored experience that's designed for me based on my past purchase behavior, not on the the flyer that you're running this week to the other million customers that you have. So there's things that are a lot more broken than payment. And yet, as as you point out, we sit and we obsess about payment. What should it be? You know, how should we pay? What will we feel secure with? It doesn't really matter. You know, it's got to be part of a greater suite of conveniences. And that's, that stems from our opening conversation, which is literally that there has to be something here that, that draws people in, that keeps people there. Because, uh, I mean, I, I cover this with Chuck Martin all the time on the Mobile Commerce Minute, where he talks about, listen, 90% of us would rather do a purchase in a store, right? We'll research the heck out of things uh, around the store, through the internet, through our mobile device. But when it comes to purchasing, 90% of people purchase in the store. I mean, I look at it saying, well, 10% don't, and that's an increase over those number of years where they, 100% of us did. That's um, right. And then, so, but there's that in-store experience, and I see companies that are just trying. You know, Best Buy did an augmented reality room in the middle of their showroom so that you could see what things would look like in your house. Um, but is there a great experience that you've been a part of, that you've seen, that you think, oh my God, this, yes, down on your knees, thanking the Lord, thanking the Lord that this is actually a good experience in, in, in a retail environment. You had one of those moments yet? No. Oh. No, I mean, I really haven't. There, there, it, it's, it's, it's really shocking. And I've said this for a while, considering the amount of conversation that we dedicate 
to, um, to, to, to mobile commerce, to mobile technology. I mean, we have conferences that are dedicated to yeah. all the amazing things that are happening in mobile. And I, and I, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to take away from that because I think that we are in, as I say, we're in the fanciful stages now, I think of this. We, we see the potential that these devices have. Um, and, and yes, they, I mean, they are shifting our behavior. I mean, you know, I, if you just look at the, um, Look at the impact that Google Maps has on our lives. I mean, yeah. can you could you imagine getting in your car and, and just going on on a, on a drive without Google Maps now? So, the, you know, these technologies are pervasive. They are shifting our behaviors, and they do become embedded. Um, but in the retail sector, it seems like there's just such reticence around making the investment and and jumping in. To to the point about Starbucks, I will say I think that Starbucks is probably the probably the best example of a retail mobile app that has been widely adopted and used frequently mm. you know and and it's one of the few places that i go where i actually see people pulling out their mobile device and actually using it in the way the retailer intended them to right. do you know so um so it can be done yeah it can be done but there has to be a higher level of utility and and i think the thing too uh, rob is that you know, retailers, again, it kind of, kind of comes back to who are you designing this experience for? Is it for the customer or is it for you, the retailer? You know, um, tr you know, trailing me around the store and, and scraping my mobile ID so that you can know where I'm going and what I'm looking at is only really palatable if I get something out of that, right, right as a customer. And, and I don't think they're always solving the latter half of that equation. Well, what could they solve? Like, I always think about that, like, what could they solve? Um, with knowing that data, um, having had basically, when it comes to retail, physical retail, they've had a monopoly on retail, right? Physical bricks and mortar have had a monopoly on retail since retail began. Right. And then all of a yeah. sudden we started to move into this digital world. So they've had all these years to to come up with something that was compelling. What else could they get from me that they don't already know about my maneuvers and my patterns? They have all of that data already based on my purchase history, everything that they know about me. So I always think that what are they going to do with that data anyways? Right. So I, we've covered some many stories about beacons being used to just sniff you out. And just keep track of what you, where you are and how what your dwell time is, and then you know later on in life give you an ad that is relevant to what you what they think you like. But but really, like why wouldn't you capture that at the moment while I'm standing there with a good experience inside of the store? I mean, are we overthinking this? Yeah, I think to some extent we are, and and you know I'll just give you an example of um, of I think a, the way a retailer can look at something differently that uh, cuts through. The debate, um, and it's it's unfortunately it's not a mobile example, but it's a technology example sure. that I think suits. Yeah. So um, you know the debate around video analytics, and customers, if you if you interview them and you say, do you want to be videotaped as you walk through the store? Do you want your movements to be known? They will almost invariably say they're uncomfortable with that, yes. right? Um, however, a grocery store in the U.S. Kroger took. The, uh, they, they actually used video analytics and big data analytics, and they combined those two things to solve a problem. And that was they had four-minute wait times at their checkouts on average. I think it was like four, four and a half minutes on average to wait to check out. Using video analytics and big data, they actually brought that down to 26 seconds on average. 
Nobody's complaining. <laughs> no customers are complaining about this, right? So this is a brilliant way. They, they looked at this and they used the technology to solve uh, a problem and to, and to eliminate a piece of friction from the consumer's experience. So, you know, again, the same sort of thing like, you know, do, do, do consumers want technology to be pervasive in their shopping experience? Perhaps not. But if you put technology in a fitting room and alleviate the need for, for a consumer to walk out into the store wearing an ill-fitting pair of pants to try and find the right size by having the ability to communicate with a sales associate, you'll probably get very few complaints about that, you know. So it's all about perspective. And, and I think where consumers object usually is where it's very clear that the intent of the technology is not to help them. Yeah. It's not to deliver a better experience. It's to try to sell them more bullshit advertising or, you know, to, to just sell them things they don't need. I, that is such a perfect way. Like it's a perfect description because I'm, I was trying to think of the the right question to ask. At this is because you know, and the only thing I can come up is is how does mobile fit into this then? Be, because you know the way that you've described that is exactly it. Is that if if it's not a pain, like if 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 payment isn't a pain, then it's not a problem that needs to be solved, right? So standing in line is a pain. We all know that. Uh, returns might be a pain. We all know that. But uh, you know, getting curbside pickup for returns is not the answer for that. Um, but so w mobile, the way I look at mobile is it kind of intertwines in and out as the day goes on, as the use goes on, as the person is in and out of the shop. And, and I, I don't know if you can predict how mobile plays in here because it's so different person to person and case to case. But if you were to look at this and say, how, how is mobile going to affect this? Aside from payments, whatever that looks like, how does mobile play in, into the entire retail landscape? I think that I, 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 I think that first of all, there's no question to me that we are becoming, as consumers, we're becoming calibrated to online experiences. And and we're starting, I am starting now to to almost um, assume in the real world that I'll be able to do things that I can do online. Like it's it's to that point for me, you know. <laughs> Like um, what? But like what? You know, like, uh, like well, you just, price you just compare, those kind of things? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just imagine that you're going to have some of the same capabilities. So there's this dissonance that's setting up now where if we shop online, I can see reviews, I can, I can watch videos, I can product compare, I can price compare, I can really, really get uh, a full 360 degree view of what I'm buying before I buy it. And I feel like I make good decisions online. Then I go into the store and it's this kind of cavernous, empty place with a few products to choose from. Um, I have virtually no product information at all. Maybe a four by six card with three bullet points on. I actually took a picture, funny story. I was in a, a store looking for shoes and they had these hiking shoes and they had um, product information cards in front of all these shoes. It was like 50 pairs of shoes and they were blank. Like they had not even a, a feature <laughs> or a benefit. It was just a price, it's right? Just shoes. Yeah, for this so price. it was just shoes, for, and here's the price. So that that is where I think mobile can be instrumental. If we can say to a customer, look, there's a digital layer on top of this store, and it allows you access to all kinds of great information, uh, media. Uh, it allows you to, to potentially see. I'll give you an example. Um, uh, American Apparel was working with a company called Vuforia. And, and what they uh, were experimenting with was the ability to, while you're in the store, actually be able to 
look at an image of a product and then get all the kind of data that you would get from Amazon. So what are the reviews? What are the kind of the social currency around that product? Um, do you want to watch video? Do you want to just order it online mm -hmm. right now? Just order it online and we'll deliver it to you. So I think that's where we all have these devices and they can basically become our passport to a richer experience in store if the retailer adopts the view that this is not about just scraping my personal information and then sending me more stuff. It's about creating a fundamentally different digital experience in their stores. I love it, Doug. I love it. Can we promise to do this more often? More often than every three years? Every three years? I, I think that we can do that every 1,000 <laughs> sure. days. Less every leap year. Every leap year, we'll do that. <laughs> and only on the leap year. That's right. Uh, because I feel like I could, uh, you know, we, we touched the surface of this and there's so much more that I would love to have a conversation around with you. So uh, hopefully yeah. we can do that. Anytime. How, where do we send people? Is uh, retail uh, profit uh, that still active? The, that's the where you want people to, to go is retailprofit.com? Go to retailprofit.com, everything else that I do sort of orbits there. So okay. uh, yeah, go there. We'll Retailprofit.com, at RetailProfit on Twitter. Um, and please, like, you know, if you if you actually like this, you should buy his book. It's The Retail Revival. Um, and you can get that in anywhere where you where you buy fine books, online, Amazon, Indigo. Digitally or physically, wow. yes. You can get it everywhere. We have been speaking with Doug Stevens. He is The Retail Profit. Go to RetailProfit.com, at RetailProfit on Twitter. I implore you, uh, do something like follow him, sign up for anything that he is a part of. Go and take a look at the archive on his website of some of the stuff that he's done for the national news broadcasts here and in the States. If you get an opportunity to see him in person, you will never be disappointed. And if you want to know a little bit about his mind, go to any bookstore online or offline and buy the Retail Revival. That is his book. I highly recommend it. Doug, thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you, Rob. Anytime. All right. Everybody else, we'll see you next time on Untether.tv.